This is uh, December the 10th, is that right, today? We're two weeks out from Christmas. And I got to thinking about Christmas, and uh, I know that, that a lot of times that uh, uh, we as Christians, we, uh, we get all upset when, when we see that the world uh, tries to, what we call, remove Christmas or remove Christ from Christmas. Um, and, you know, it should bother us. But at the same time, I, I've often wondered why that it's only when something gets to a certain point that we all of a sudden get outraged or we all of a sudden are so concerned about it. Because uh, I really believe that as believers in Christ, that if we look at this day, this what we call Christmas Day, and we really held it with the with the honor, with the esteem, and with the reverence, and, and, and uh, with uh, the true meaning of what it is, that, that we probably uh, wouldn't be, put ourselves in such a position that when someone says, well, we, you know, we don't want to have Christ in Christmas, uh, it, it wouldn't bother us so much. But I think a lot of times we ignore it for, for 360 days, and then the time comes around, and then we all of a sudden, we're more concerned about the, uh, uh, the decorations than we are the declaration of what Christ is and who he is. So that's just kind of, I've been thinking about that, and, and as I was thinking about that and, and, and reading some scriptures about the birth and about the prophecies, the Lord put it on my heart to, to write uh, six different short um, posts or articles uh, about his name is called. And I want to go over these six different names that I see our Savior called in Scripture. And I want to start, I'm going to read just three passages here. Uh, The first one is in Isaiah chapter 9, and these will be very familiar to you. Uh, It's chapter... 9 verse 6. And this is recognized as a prophecy of the coming Messiah, the prophecy of the birth of our Savior, Jesus. Isaiah writes these words, he says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulder. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Just turn back one page or two pages to Isaiah 7, verse 14. Again, recognized as a prophecy of the coming birth of, of Christ. Isaiah 7, 14 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Then let's skip over to the New Testament, Matthew chapter 1, beginning there in verse 21, Matthew 1, 21. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Then verse 24, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they shall call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the prophecy and for the actual event of the birth of Jesus, the Savior of the world. And we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to take each of these names and just kind of talk to you a little bit about what these mean. Let's start first with Wonderful Counselor. You know, uh, a popular notion in today's world is that everyone needs a life coach. How many have heard that term life coach? Okay. Everybody needs a life coach. Uh, that's the popular notion in business and in, and in fitness and in the health world. Yet I submit to you that for the Christian, we have the ultimate life coach. Okay. We have the ultimate life coach and his name is Wonderful Counselor. Uh, Isaiah 9, 6 is, is one of these prophecies regarding the various names of the coming Messiah. Now, the original King James Version will uh, separate the words wonderful and counselor uh, with a comma, which indicates that there's two different names here. But most modern translations recognize that it is one meaning that he is a wonderful counselor. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about what this means, the wonderful counselor. That word wonderful is also translated in other areas in the Old Testament as marvelous. And it means something that is wonderful or admirable, or it's like a miracle of God. And it depicts something that is extraordinary and something that is out of the norm. So if, if something is wonderful, what, when we see that word wonderful in Scripture, it's saying that this is different. This is extraordinary. It is not the normal thing that you would look at. It is something outside the realm of human explanation. Something that nothing else is like. How many have ever heard of the seven wonders of the ancient world? Okay, We all have heard of the seven wonders of the world. Uh, and they're called that. Why? Because there was nothing else like them at that time. They were very different. They were, they were a one-of-a-kind wonder. I submit to you that Jesus is a -a one-of-a-kind counselor. He is a -a one-of-a-kind wonder. There isn't another counselor like him, and that's why I say he is the ultimate likeness. He is a wonderful counselor, nothing else like him. A wonder is something that's hard to understand, much like a mystery. Jesus Christ was a wonder and a mystery. Paul acknowledged this in Colossians 1.26 when he says this, Even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to the saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery, even among the Gentiles, which is this, Christ in you, the hope of glory. The wonderfulness, the mystery of the awesomeness, the miracle of God is that Christ is in me. Christ is in you, the hope of glory. So how is Christ in us? Well, he is in you through the person of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the comforter that Jesus promised he would send. But the comforter, he says this in John 14, 26, but the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. So Jesus told the disciples in John 14, 16 through 17, that he said, I'm going to pray the Father and he's going to send you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. He said, it's going to be the spirit of truth. 
And the world can't receive this spirit because it doesn't see him, neither knows him, but you know him for he dwelleth with you and he what shall be in you. So Jesus, the prophesied Messiah, was given this name, Wonderful Counselor, because there is no other like him. And the word counselor means to advise or to, give, to consult, to give counsel, to devise plan and purpose. So as the Wonderful Counselor, Jesus gives us direction and advisement through the Holy Spirit, much like a king would give advisement to his people. Now, it's prophesied of the coming Messiah that, and, and wonderful counselor that the spirit of the Lord will rest, shall rest upon him and the spirit of wisdom and understanding and the spirit of counsel and might and the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. That's in Isaiah 11 too. So Jesus has God's, has God's spirit of counsel for the purpose of advising Keith. Jesus has God's spirit for the purpose of advising you. And that spirit dwells in us. Imagine for a moment that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the God-man, the wonderful counselor, were right here with you in physical form every day. And he is with you, and the purpose is to give you advice and to give you recommendations and to counsel you and to direct you in all your decisions and to help you with every situation that you have. Here's Jesus right here, and I say, Jesus, here's my problem. Can you, can you give me some advice here? You think his advice would be right? Absolutely. His advice would be correct. He is a wonderful counselor. So how awesome would that be? Well, in a sense, he is here with you because he is not only with you, but he says he is in you through the Holy Spirit. So remember, the Holy Spirit, he says, is going to teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. That's the role of the Holy Spirit, and that is the role of the ultimate life coach, the wonderful counselor. If you believe in Jesus, you are a child of God, filled with God's Holy Spirit, and therefore you have this wonderful counselor abiding in your spirit. Take advantage of it. Take advantage of this wonderful counsel that only God's Spirit can give. Now, the next name he shall be called is Mighty God. You see, Christmas, the time that, that Christians around the world celebrate the birth of the Savior, is more than a miraculous story of uh, mangers and shepherds and wise men and angels and stars. As wonderful as all that is, okay, and, and that's going to be the focus of, of most of, of what we do around Christmas when we recognize who Jesus is, the, the play and all that Sunday morning with the kids. That's the focus. And that's fine. That's a great, miraculous story. But <clears throat> as glorious and wonderful as the night of his birth was, the story and the miracle, we have to understand, it extends into eternity past and to the prophets of old who looked for and prophesied to this glorious redemption that was going to come through the birth of Jesus Christ, the birth of the mighty God. You know, there's a question I ask myself a lot of times because um, uh, I, I, I'm, I, I don't feel like I'm really uh, real good with words sometimes and, and I struggle to express myself. And I ask myself a question, can words, though, even really articulate and accurately identify 
who Christ is and what the nature and what the scope of his mighty power is. Can human words even begin to, 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 uh, to identify that and to uh, accurately say who he is? Sometimes I think absolutely no, because as mere humans, we cannot understand an infinite and an omnipotent Savior and God. But we use words, and the prophets use the words God inspired them to write to give us a glimpse of the mightiness and the powerfulness of Christ the Savior and God. Now, why does the Scripture call him Mighty God? In the original Hebrew, the word mighty in Isaiah 9-6 is tied to the word God, or, or the Hebrew word for God, which is El, E-L. This Hebrew word God is, uh, for, for God, El, is, is rarely used without some form of an adjective or a descriptive tied to it. Uh, so in this verse, the description is mighty God. Uh, the, so the question becomes, why call Jesus mighty God? The reason we can call him mighty God is because of the creative strength and might and power that are in him. John 1.3 informs us that all things were made by him, talking about Jesus, and without him, Jesus, was not anything made that was made. Okay, He said, without Jesus, there was nothing made that was made. Paul affirms this in Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, where he writes, For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, All things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. So I think it's pretty clear that that nothing exists apart from Christ. Nothing exists apart from Jesus, the mighty God. Now, when you think of the creative power and might of man, we all know how limited it is. We can only create from something that already exists. Now, this building is nice, but all of it was created from something that already existed. I don't care if it was the wood or the steel, uh, the metal in the earth, the wood on the trees, whatever it may be. We can only create from something that already exists. Yet Jesus, the mighty God, created from nothing. He brought it all into existence, all the physical and visible matter, as well as that what, that is invisible, including dominions and principalities and powers that, human, that we as humans may not even know exist. To do this takes a mighty God, and Jesus himself declared he had this might when he says in Matthew twenty-eight eighteen that all power is given to him in heaven and in earth. No might, no power, no strength, no ability. Nothing is withheld from Jesus, the mighty God. I want, you don't have this, uh, unless you have a New Living Translation Bible, you won't have it read quite like this in, in another Bible. But I want to read to you 
Hebrews chapter 1. And, and I want you to just pay a careful attention, because I don't think they have it on the screen either, but, but just listen to some of these words as, as Paul is describing Jesus in Hebrews 1 from the New Living Translation. Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. God promised everything to his son as an inheritance. And through the son, he created the universe. The son, talking about Jesus, not the son, the sun radiates God's own glory. Just grasp this for a minute. Jesus radiates God's own glory. Everything that is God radiates out from Jesus. He radiates God's own glory and expresses the very characteristic of God or the very character of God. Jesus expresses that. And he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. You want to know why this is all held together? You better thank Jesus for it, the mighty God. He sustains it all. When he had cleansed us from our sins, he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. This shows that the Son is far greater than the angels, just as the name God gave him is greater than their name. For God never said to any angel what he said to Jesus, you are my son, today I have become your father. God also said, I will be his father and he will be my son. And when he brought his supreme son into the world, God said, let all of God's angels worship him. Regarding the angels, he says, he sends his angels like the winds, his serpents like flames of fire. But to the son, he says, your throne, O God. This is God declaring Jesus, his son, as God. He says, your throne, O God, endures forever and ever. You rule with a scepter of justice. You love justice and you hate evil. Therefore, O God, your God has anointed you. Again, God calling God, God. (laughs) He said, therefore, O God, your God has anointed you, pouring out the oil of joy on you more than anyone else. He also says to the son, in the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundation of the earth and made the heavens with your hands. God, God's telling, acknowledging who Jesus was. He said, you're the one that made all this. You laid the foundations. You're the mighty God. They will perish, but you remain forever. They wear out like old clothing. You will fold them up like a cloak and discard them like old clothing. But you are always the same. You will live forever. And God never said to any of the angels, sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. Therefore, angels are only servants, spirits sent to care for people who will inherit salvation. His name, Jesus' name, shall be called Mighty God. I have a question for you. Do you call and serve and follow Jesus as your Mighty God? The one who God says, you have, you're the one that made all this. You hold it all together. 
Do you serve him? Do you follow him? When we recognize Jesus as our mighty God, we will live differently. I will live differently. You will live differently and allow him to rule your life. He shall be called everlasting father. Wow. Nothing in this physical world will last forever. We just read that in Hebrews chapter 1. It said that this all is going to pass away and it's like old clothes. You throw them away. Even scientists will tell us that the stars in the universe are dying. So it's comforting for me to know that Jesus is eternal. Jesus is timeless. Jesus is forever. Jesus is everlasting. The scripture tells us that his name shall be called Everlasting Father. This doesn't mean that he is the father, but that he has the characteristics of the father. Just as we read in Hebrews chapter 1 where it said that the son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. Okay? So it means that he has the characteristics of the Father. Jesus himself said, he, the father, he and the Father are one. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He said, we're one. I don't do anything except what the Father tells me to do. This word everlasting means a perpetual existence. It's from ancient eternity past to forever eternity future. It is a continual, perpetual existence. Jesus is timeless. Now granted, He lived in a physical form as a man for 33 years. But as God, he's always been, he's always existed, and he will always be, and he will always exist. There is no beginning and there is no end to Jesus as God, the everlasting father. You know, fatherlessness is a real problem in our world today. And children need fathers as examples They need fathers for security, for protection, for discipline. Yes, discipline. And in in other ways. But we also need a spiritual father. Jesus came to reveal the fathers, what he tells us. And we know that Jesus created all things. And, And here's the thing. Jesus will always be there for us. He is the everlasting father. We don't have to worry about him divorcing us, our mom. Okay? Leaving our mom. Jesus will always be there. He will never leave us or forsake us, unlike earthly earthly fathers, because Jesus possesses the characteristics of our heavenly father. We can call him everlasting father because he is eternal and timeless. And I'm hurrying through these, but uh, Prince of Peace. This is the one, this is one of the more comforting names that Jesus shall be called. John 14, 27, Jesus told his disciples that he was leaving his peace with them. The world really doesn't have a peace. Uh, But the peace of God that God has through Jesus, the Prince of Peace, it passes or it transcends all of our human understanding and it will keep our hearts and guard us and prevent our hearts from uh, invasion with the troubles and the turmoil of this world. That's what the Prince of Peace does. That is what Jesus does and he will do for you you and me. The Hebrew word for prince is also translated captain or chief or governor or ruler and keeper. People would have understood when, they, when Isaiah wrote that word about prince that, that the prince was the leader of a kingdom or of a group of people. Jesus is the ruler or keeper of peace. He is the leader of a people of peace. Ephesians 2.14 tells us that he himself is our peace who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier dividing the wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law and its commandments and regulations. And what he's talking about here is, he, is there's two groups of people, Gentiles and, and Jews. Okay? And he said that, that, that Jesus has 
destroyed the barrier that existed between these two groups of people. He's destroyed the hostility. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two Gentiles and Jews, thus making peace and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, but which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to those who were far away and to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Uh, As the Prince of Peace, here's what Jesus has done. And I'm really, he's given us his peace. He's made it possible for us to have peace with God. Romans 5.1 said that we can have peace with God. He's filled us with the spirit of peace through the fruit of the spirit that we bear as God's children. There is no hostility or there should be no hostility and division between people groups. Now, I know that right now you can turn on the TV and you can see it all of the hostilities. But among Christians, there should be no hostility and division among people groups. God destroyed that barrier. Jesus destroyed that barrier. He is the Prince of Peace. The Hebrew word for peace is shalom, and in the Old Testament it often referred to the times of peace between nations and groups of people when, they were, when there weren't any hostilities. And as our Prince of Peace, there is no more hostility between us and God or us and other people. His name shall be called Emmanuel. You know, this is an amazing and incomprehensible aspect of Jesus. He was a man, yet he was God. He was a physical being, yet he was divine. He was the God-man. I can't explain it. I can't comprehend it. I can't convince you to understand it. But I believe it, and I accept it. Okay? And that's all we can do. Don't try to grasp your mind around an incomprehensible God. Jesus Emmanuel is God with us. What does that mean to have God with us? God is with us through his spirit. He fills our lives and satisfies our soul. Jesus, the man, is no longer here in physical form, although he is represented in physical form by his body, the church. You and I are Christ to this world. God with us. Finally, Jesus is called Jesus. Um, Jesus means Jehovah is salvation. The name of Jesus is above every other name. I want to just quickly read to you Philippians 5.11. You must have the same attitude that Christ had, that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born of a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let me just end with this. There is power in the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus, and as you read the accounts in the New Testament, and if you want to just do a quick in your Bible program or whatever, just put in name of Jesus. 
you'll, you'll, you'll find the, the, these different scriptures. But the name of Jesus provoked rulers to prohibit believers from speaking that name. They called the apostles back in and commanded them, says, never again speak in the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus caused people to rejoice. They, su- they rejoiced in their suffering for the name of Jesus. People were baptized in the name of Jesus. Demons had to obey the name of Jesus. Unbelievers opposed the name of Jesus. Isaiah 9.2 says this, just before this, uh, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, uh, uh, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Just before that, prior to that, a couple of verses, Isaiah 9.2 says, The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. That light is Jesus, the wonderful counselor. That light is Jesus, the mighty God. That light is Jesus, the everlasting father. That light is Jesus, the prince of peace. That light is Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. That light is Jesus, Jehovah is salvation. Would you stand with me?